0: our scripture this morning comes from first corinthians chapter one we'll be reading for our scripture reading verses four through nine and you can find this in a pew bible on page 952 if you don't have a copy of god's word with you today and if you need a copy of god's word please take one of those bibles as our gift to you and we would love for you to be reading that regularly please stand for the reading of god's word I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, your word is truth, it is eternal, unchangeable, and it is profitable to us. Would you use it today through the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts? that we might, in unity, give thanks to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. God called Sharon and I and our family to St. Andrews a little over 19 years ago. since that time, it has been my great privilege to serve this body alongside two senior pastors a number of assistant pastors and many staff members through the years we as a church have been through a lot together in those years many highs some lows lots of changes in membership staff facilities programming and the like And no doubt, St. Andrews will experience many more changes in the future. But one thing has remained constant for St. Andrews in its entire history, almost 39 years now, and that is God's faithfulness. As we serve and work side by side, awaiting the revealing of our Lord Jesus, it is he who will sustain his church. Not your pastors, not the session, not the deacons, not the staff. God is faithful, and he will accomplish his eternal purpose for this body of believers, for his glory alone. St. Andrews can take great hope in this truth as it walks down a new road. Uncertain of the future and what the will of the Lord is. God has given us his word and it is sufficient. So let us go there today to prayerfully consider what's next for our beloved church. I imagine for some today that the title of the message may seem a little presumptuous on my part. After all, how can I provide a way forward for St. Andrews before a vote has happened. But the way forward for St. Andrews isn't about me. God has laid out clearly in his word a path forward for his church. So this message isn't Mark's way forward, but rather it is God's way forward for his church, regardless of who he calls to lead her and to be her shepherd. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, as most of you know, is similar to many of his letters in that it is a letter to a specific local congregation, a church in Corinth. And as God's eternal inspired word, the message to the Corinthians is also the message to Christ church today, to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. And I believe that it's a suitable message for such a time as this in the life of this church. This first point in the outline should bring great comfort to us all, for Jesus has prepared the way forward for St. Andrews. And if Jesus has prepared the way, then it is a good way. For Jesus loves his flock more than we do, and he will care for her far better than we can in our weakness. Paul begins like any good communicator does by expressing what he sees positively in the believers in Corinth, giving thanks to God for them and pointing them to their assurance in the gospel. I see three primary ways in this opening that Jesus prepares the way forward for his church. First, he prepares the way with his grace. Look at verse 4 again. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. God's amazing grace has been poured out upon this church. Corinthians found themselves right in the middle of a pagan, idolatrous, godless society. People were being saved, Jew and Gentile alike. They were making good progress in the gospel, and Paul celebrated that. In verse 6, he continues, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. The saving work of God in the Corinthian church was known to others. Outsiders knew of them by reputation. God was doing something mighty in this church and lives were being changed for his glory. It must have been an exciting body to be part of. To see God working the miracle of salvation in people's lives, bringing them out of darkness into light. Additionally, Jesus had prepared the way forward for them with his gifts. Paul encouraged them with the reality that in every way, they had been enriched in all speech and all knowledge, and that they were not lacking in any spiritual gifts. God had equipped that church as he does every church. With his spirit dwelling inside them, his word, and all of the spirits accompanying gifts that they needed to accomplish his will. And if that weren't enough, the grace of their salvation, the provision of all the gifts that the Lord had appointed to them, Paul encouraged them that Jesus had prepared the way forward with his faithfulness that he would sustain them to the end and present them guiltless in the day of his return. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. What a tremendous encouragement this should be for all of us today. The future of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church is one of optimism. How do I know that? Because I know that Jesus has prepared you for this moment. In the history of the church. Whether you have been here for all of her 38 years or he has called you here within the last few months, he has gathered together the flock that is here and equipped her for just the right time with just the right gifts and just the right people to accomplish his purposes. And he will be faithful to complete the good work begun in you. St. Andrews has a reputation of being friendly and loving. It's generally one of the things that draws people here initially. I imagine most of us have sensed a cloud of uncertainty hanging over us for a number of months now. The tension in the hallways has been real and maybe even a bit discouraging. The atmosphere hasn't quite felt like it used to. But let me encourage you, The spirit of Christ is at work here. Don't underestimate the work that God has been doing around here during this time. The spirit of God is never static. He's not sitting around waiting for us to figure out a way forward as though he were dependent upon us. He is at work in our midst. And our lack of understanding or blindness to what he is doing doesn't minimize the reality of it. That feeling of mutual love, friendship, and joy that we have, it will return stronger than ever as the church unites in the love of Christ with a common purpose and vision. But at the same time, we can't stick our heads in the sand, can we, and gloss over The difficult reality that whichever the way the vote goes today, some of you are going to be disheartened, perhaps even angry. The children of God, don't be dismayed, for the Lord is on his throne. And if you belong to him, he has given you his all-sufficient grace. He has given you supernatural gifts to do the work of ministry, and he has promised that he will be faithful to his church to the end. Maybe you feel a little bit battle fatigued, and there may yet be more challenges ahead for this church. But God has not called his people to a life of ease. And he has prepared the way forward for St. Andrews with his grace, with his gifts, and with his faithfulness. He holds the future, and he will do what is best. Continuing in verse 10, we read, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? It seems that in its success in the gospel and the resulting growth from that, that the Corinthian church was carving itself up into factions, each with its own agenda and ideas of who to follow and what to believe. And Paul was very concerned about these divisions. He appeals to them, pleads with them, begs them to come together in unity. Paul understood that Jesus' way is one, United in agreement, united in mind and judgment and heart, united in Jesus. You know, we shouldn't be surprised or concerned for that matter when there are differences of opinion in the church. In fact, I think to the contrary, we should welcome them as iron sharpening iron. Why wouldn't there be disagreements? After all, Jesus' church deals with the weightiest matters in the universe. The eternal destiny of men and women and their children and the glory of God. This is no small thing. If you're going to be passionate about something, by all means, make it the gospel in the church. We certainly should care deeply about these matters and fight for the truth. The issue is not whether or not we have disagreements or differing opinions but ha- rather how do we handle those differences and disagreements especially when they are not matters of christian orthodoxy but rather legitimate ways of doing things differently we must always seek unity within the church for christ is not divided Improper responses to offenses in the church are one of the primary means in which Satan tries to destroy its witness. Notice I didn't say that offenses themselves. I mean, when you get this many broken people together, there are going to be offenses and missteps towards one another. It's going to happen. The issue then, I believe, has to do with our expectations of one another and then our response to those offenses i think too often we expect perfection when the biblical expectation for one another is not perfection but rather reconciliation through repentance and forgiveness the biblical expectation is that we will wrong one another Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have given us the steps of reconciliation. For instance, by way of example, let's say that you sin against me. Well, if I become angry and turn that anger into speaking ill of you to others and allow bitterness to grow in my heart, then I'm showing that my expectation for you was that you would never wrong me. Perfection. But on the other hand... If I respond gently, privately, going to you first, as Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 18, to tell you I have been wronged, giving you then an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness, and in return I offer that forgiveness to you, well, now I'm acknowledging that we're imperfect. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, the expectation is repentance and forgiveness resulting in reconciliation. We've all, most of us have been in church a long time. We understand that principle. But do we practice it? You cannot agree with one another without actually taking the time to talk to one another. This is the only way our unity and agreement can be restored moving forward. Any other way is destructive, and unfortunately, far too many times, the church looks more like the earthly world of politics than the heavenly realm of patience and forgiveness. This shouldn't be. In John 13, the Lord Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, gave a new commandment, one that many of us looked at, even just this recent passion season. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The message today from God's word speaks to the future of St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. Will you, as the body of Christ, walked together into the future, united in agreement, united in mind and heart, united in Christ for the sake of his name? Or will you allow Satan to bring paralyzing division? God will reveal his will to this church today. And either I will walk forward with you as your senior pastor or someone else will come to fulfill that role. Either way, for the sake of the name of Christ and his kingdom, you must come together in unity with one another and in support of the leaders that God will put into place here. Unity, building up, restoring trust, and mending relationships is always the right way forward for God's people. Division, tearing down, mistrust, and broken relationships is never the way forward for Christ's church. We must determine to seek the former things in the power of Christ. For if we normalize the latter, we will suffer the consequences of a church paralyzed in division and sin and losing our effectiveness in the battle at hand. Finally, we see that Jesus' way forward is the way of the cross. This is what unifies us and brings us together. We are united under the banner of the cross. Picking up at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God. Paul says, in essence, this message of the cross is foolishness to the unregenerate heart. Well, that's not very encouraging. I mean, if we preach something that's foolish to the world, how are we going to grow as a church? If people who don't know Jesus think the central message of the gospel is foolishness, how are we going to see new members in our church? What will be the incentive for people to come to St. Andrews? But the next statement says that to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now think about that statement. The resurrection power of God, the same power that called Lazarus out of the tomb, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead after suffering the anguish of hell upon the cross, that power is at work in us when God transforms our heart of stone into hearts of flesh. And if it weren't clear, he reiterates in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For the man or woman in an unregenerate state, the preaching of the cross is utter nonsense. And there is nothing that you or I can say or do to convince them otherwise. Only when God gives us a new heart do we see the preaching of the cross as the power of God. Paul didn't have a 10-step program to bring people into the kingdom. All he had was the preaching of the cross. This limitation wasn't disappointing to Paul. It was liberating. For the saving of souls isn't dependent upon eloquence of speech or some worldly coolness factor. The transformation of people's lives isn't about the latest technology or emotional hooks. The growth of Jesus' kingdom and the salvation of sinners is completely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's job was simply to be faithful in preaching the gospel. Picks up in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers, No human might boast in the presence of God. God's means of saving people was a seeming foolish message preached by untalented, weak nobodies so that no one could boast except to boast in the Lord. God is consumed with his own glory And we will only be satisfied when we are two. If God chooses to bless the preaching of the gospel at St. Andrews and the witness of our congregation to this community and around the world, it won't be because we're the next church du jour. It will be because his good pleasure is to bless the preaching of the cross. As you're looking up here at the pulpit, you see a symbol on the front of it. There's a cross. And overlaid are what looks like the letters IHS. They're actually the Greek letters Yoda, Ada, Sigma. They are the three first letters of the name of Jesus. We preach Christ and him crucified. And when you look at this pulpit... That's what you should be hearing. And if you're not, you need to step up and correct the pastor. But that same monogram, that same symbol is back there on the sound booth, just above the screen. And it's there to remind this person that we preach Christ, Jesus, and him crucified. We preach the cross. Sir, we would see Jesus. So does that mean that our sermons and worship services should look like a Billy Graham crusade, focused only on scripture that has a direct invitation to salvation? Should we design our worship services to reach the lost? Well, There are at least two fallacies with this kind of thinking. First, the central message of the whole of scripture, the Old and the New Testaments, is the plan of redemption designed in the mind of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in eternity past. And Jesus' cross is at the very center of that plan. The whole counsel of God, all of Scripture, is worthy of our attention because all of Scripture points us to Jesus. Secondly, again, as Paul has stated, the gospel is foolishness to the unregenerate heart. They have no ability to understand it without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is for those who are being saved. It's for us. We never move past the power of the cross. It's not a one and done prospect. Well, I've checked that box. I've been saved. We will never tire of hearing the old, old story. And one day we will sing it before the throne of God with the host of heaven and all the saints. And he heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. From the garden when God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of Satan. The power of sin and of death. All the way to the great day when all of the redeemed stand before the throne of heaven singing the song of the lamb slain. The message of Christ and him crucified is the melody woven into the fabric of the universe for all time and eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began, Beloved, we have only begun exalting the lamb who was slain in the message of the cross. It will be our theme through the ages. Paul finishes the chapter out in verse 31. As it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We must recognize that we can accomplish nothing for the kingdom on our own. We must decide here and now that we will know nothing more than Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is how we will weather the raging storms of life together. This is how we will see lives moved out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. This is how we will see families and marriages restored. This is how this beacon on the hill will shine brightly for King Jesus. There is work to do, St. Andrews. Should the Lord call me to be your senior pastor through your vote today, I will gladly serve the body here with all that he has given me. By God's grace and enablement. I will strive to be a leader who will look to Jesus alone to prepare us for our calling to make disciples, relying on his grace and salvation, utilizing and challenging you to use your gifts and resources that God has given you to serve him and his church, all the while looking away from myself to his faithfulness. I'll be a leader who will insist upon and model unity among the God-ordained leadership of this church that we may gently shepherd the flock God has given us responsibility over for his glory and their good. A leader who will continually point you and those who enter here to the greatest unifying force in the world, the good news of the cross of Jesus Christ. My only boast from this pulpit, our only boast on the streets of Irmo and around the world where God allows us to serve, will be of Christ and him crucified, for that is where the power and wisdom of God lies. Let's pray. Well, Father, we have beheld the Lord Jesus this morning in your word. And it is a powerful and mighty thing. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us, for calling us to be part of that grand chorus, singing Worthy as the Lamb That Was Slain. And Father, may that be our song. Our song in the night, our song in the sunshine, our song to all that we come in contact with who need the saving grace of the Lord Jesus, the song that we sing here together every time we gather. May that resonate from here and from this pulpit for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.